this casino, it's like everyone brought their own games, right? And uh, there was just like a floor that you would f- they, they would fill up with all these different games. So in this case, it was it was like a gathering, a get together, and everyone had their casino games like shipped in and arranged on the floor. And there's this one guy who it was like a celebrity. I, I I don't remember exactly who it was, but he was like he he loved to party and he loved to like show off his wealth and he had an incredible number of these games. So these games were basically um, they were like table games. So almost like think like um, a uh, you know like the cocktail video games. It's it's a table you know sort of a, a glass glossy surface and then the controls are on the sides and then there's a screen. So all these casino games were like that, but a lot of them were really, really big and irregularly shaped, and um, and I'm not sure if they were video games or you know video or I think there was a mechanical element. So there there were lots of things going on under the glass, in terms of the mechanics and what was going on in there. There was one game I remember. So I remember I was there when the whole floor was filled up. So it was almost like think like maybe if it was an event or a wedding or something everyone would bring their own casino games and have them shipped in and arranged on the floor, right? And it seemed like the most, I mean, I was so familiar with this idea. So yeah, the the, the big famous guy who may have been hosting the event, but everyone else brought their own games too. And I remember there was one, it was this huge, and it was just, it had all these weird angles. It was shaped very weird, and they were all packed very tightly together, so it was kind of hard to walk through the casino. But I know that at one point the guy was like, the guy was there sort of showing off his casino games and there was one that was a bit different it was almost like a like a glass room and you would put a quarter in and the the quarter would sort of fly out and try to hit something you know the, one of those kind of games um i'm trying to think i don't know if i had any games there but i was i was part of the event and i i think i kind of knew that famous guy and um I was talking, I think, to my wife about it. Like, you know, when they when they do this, you know, this is this is an event that lasts like multiple days. It's this whole thing. Everyone brings their own uh, casino games. <clears throat> it's a very high end venue. I'm like, well, what if one person wants to leave? Like, everything's so tightly packed together. What if a, what if someone that has like their 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 casino games like in in the middle? And I was thinking, like, yeah, they prob- probably in the middle of the night they they rearrange everything and take those games out and pack them in the trucks for those people and then they'll just just rearrange everything you know like neatly like that i was thinking about how this place works you know that this this weird casino where everyone brings their own casino games (laughs) um then i uh then i went to this store and there's this guy alex i know the guy that ran the comic shop when i was growing up and at this point he had this massive massive a store that sold all kind of collectibles, but it was huge. It was like really like like this huge like complex. And I went there after hours uh, with someone, and I think someone that I don't know if they worked there or they knew him. And we were, and I was like, you know, like I just I couldn't do it. I wouldn't be able to figure out if someone brought me like some collectible, like an old you know action figure or something. I wouldn't know how much to, how much it was worth. I wouldn't know how much to give them for it. You know, it's amazing what he does. And, um, yeah, so we wound up like in the back of the store and one of the employees was there. I'm like, oh, there's someone here. Wow. And there, there, it turns out there were, I think it was the guy that, yeah, the guy that, uh, that was uh, giving us the tour. 
And this other guy, he's like, uh, what happened to my meat? Apparently, like, there's a refrigerator in the back of the store, and the guy had, like, a piece of meat that this other guy kind of stole and was, was cooking. It's like, you, you can't have it. It's my meat. <laughs> and then, like, yeah, in the back room, there was, like, all these... All these like microwave ovens on the floor it was all dirty. It was all it was a pretty wild scene there in that store. I'm telling you. Uh, so then I woke up. Yes, obviously these were dreams I had just just within the past hour or two. Uh, interesting dreams. Maybe not the most earth shattering dreams. They're kind of interesting. But um, then I was, uh, you know, I got up to go to the bathroom and it was, I don't know. That was about five a.m. or something. What time is it now? Do I have my uh, where the hell's my... Oh, here it is. My phone. Okay. 6.26 now. A.M. Um, so I went back to... Just, you know, went back to bed. I figured I'd fall back asleep. But then that thing happened that has happened to me. Only started happening a couple years ago where I'm in bed. I'm My eyes are closed. It's, you know, sort of like I'm sleeping. But I'm not asleep. I'm awake. But then a dream... A dream started while I was awake, and I was just sort of observing it. I really need to do more research if this is like a known phenomenon. It was it was really just very much like, and I I know it sounds like lucid dreaming, but it really wasn't. It was it was just like I'm, it was like watching a movie almost, like like I'm just observing the stuff that's happening. But I was also awake. So, what do you call that phenomenon? <laughs> it's a strange phenomenon. It, 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 nothing about it felt wrong or off, but, and it has happened before. But this dream was a little. There's some disturbing aspects. It was interesting. It was, uh, um, it was this uh, this sort of room somewhere, and this guy just sort of appeared out of nowhere, and he's like, "Wait, wait, okay, what's going? On? What happened? What happened? What's going on?" Is is this the afterlife? Am I dead? And I'm I'm thinking to myself, what's this guy talking about? Obviously, he's not dead. Is well, he's, you know, he's he's like making a big deal out of nothing. But then it's almost like I'm going on a tour of this. It was like the afterlife, a tour of the afterlife. And again, it was like this huge complex built up, and each area had different themes based on real life in today's world, like shopping malls and uh, restaurants and just gardens and parks and all sorts of different spaces and um we were just sort of taking a look at it like touring it but almost almost as sort of an attached detached observer someone from as someone from some other world or something just just looking at it like here is an afterlife that we built here and it's like very weird but there was one kind of brief but kind of horrific vision uh you know at the malls these days there's like animals people ride around. <laughs> I don't know when this phenomenon started. It must have been a company that invented this incredible technology, which is like essentially like a little electric a little electric scooter kind of thing. But then they cover it with like plush animal wrappings and you can have like an elephant or a lion or you know what I mean? But you can drive it around the mall. And this started showing up a few years ago. I mean, I would have loved it back in the classic the classic days of the malls in the 80s. They didn't have that in the 80s. They didn't have that technology. I mean, the mall, I mean, I've seen it at uh, Willowbrook Mall, and then also American Dream. They have it. You know what I'm talking about. Well, we'll I'll look it up in a minute. But anyway, it was a row of them seen from the side. But people had like it was people's heads, 
like people had been turned into these mall animal rides and I'm, I'm like oh my god that's not cool like I, I'm not like in the dream I was like very against any kind of cruelty in the afterlife even though obviously you know could it could it have been hell at that point I don't know I'm like did these people want to become mall animal like vehicles or yeah something was very off about that but again I was still awake while this is happening and it wasn't just I wasn't like imagining it I had no it was almost like I had no agency in coming up with what it was like normally when you're laying in bed and just thinking about stuff this was totally different all right let, let me just do a little bit of research here <laughs> research dreaming while awake and mall animal ride hmm so I'm trying to research this 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 dreaming while awake. So it was they're talking about the hypnopompic issues, but I've had so much of that hypnopompic imagery. But that is a completely different state. It's basically in between as you're asleep and as you're waking up, you pass through this state of hypnopompic illusions, where I would get like blasts of information, phrases. I haven't actually had one in a while. Um. But it, it it really only, it's like a moment. It's like, it happens like one, two, three, four, it's like four or five seconds maybe. But you get exposed to blasts of information. So words, page, like pages of documents, seeing words, how they're spelled, how they're pronounced, all this information. Uh, so I've experienced that, but this other thing, they're also talking about false awakening where you think you woke up, but you actually are still dreaming. But in this case, no. I woke up, I went to the bathroom, went back to bed and laid down, and I was still awake, laying in bed, and it was a kind of sort of a gentle, uh, it was it was nothing, it was just sort of, I was awake, but I was also observing the sequence of events in the dream. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe no one else has that, I don't know, it's very weird. <laughs> Whatever. Oh yeah, and they're also talking about, see, the few times I, I, I had some of these, um, you know, like CBD, but some of them have THC in it. And I did have, when I had the THC, or the Delta 9, I think it was, um, as I was going to bed, I had a very different style of this, but it was almost like weird, like black velvet, black light paintings of like monsters and stuff, but I would see in my mind's eye as I'm going to sleep. That, I think, would be more akin to hypnagogic imagery. Again, totally different phenomenon. Yes. All right, what about these mall animals? Let's see. Mall animal ride. Riding. <laughs> what the hell? Mall animal ride. Mall animal ride. Yeah. Giddy up rides, animal rides, toy animal rides. <laughs> Paramus animal rides, animal riders. Okay. Ready for a wild ride? Scroll down to learn more. Animal Riders. They're based out of Utah, but is it... Hmm. I'm, I'm trying to find the origin of this this phenomenon. <laughs> this is a company that does it, but there's got to be like... When was this invented? I When did this start happening? Buy Wholesale Animal Ride for Mall. What? Really, they're not that they're, they're that cheap. A hundred dollars? No, come on, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, no, not this. Jeez, I can't even figure out what's going on here. Paramus Animal Rides. 
I never rode one, by the way. Uh, hmm, no. Dream Riders at the Mall of America. Yeah, well, they have a big collection. We are the largest provider of plush, motorized animal ride-ons that are specifically designed to be a safe, comfortable, and fun entertainment option for kids and families. We are proud to be the fastest-growing um, uh, company in the biggest mall in North America, American Dream Mall, New Jersey. And we have our fleet of American Dream Riders in other high-profile locations, including Mall of America, Minnesota West Minnesota West Edmonton Mall Canada and more. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, they have like a white tiger, so the hippopotamus, a jaguar, monkey, all sorts of things. Hmm. Can you get these for home? But I guess it's it's kind of there's not really a lot of space to ride at home. At least most people don't have that much space. FAQ. What are some frequently asked questions about animal rides? To be at least four foot tall to ride by yourself? Let's see. 10 minutes for $10, 15 minutes for $15, or 20 minutes for $20. $1 for every excess. So it's a basically a dollar a minute to ride. Oh my God. So $60 an hour to ride these animals. Hmm. Yes, as an adult, you can ride them. Is it safe to ride the animals? While we are still in a pandemic, it is recommended, not mandatory, that riders wear the the face mask at all times. The animals also have plastics on their backs that are we are quick that they are quick to sanitize. The animals are easy to maneuver and move at walking speed. Bumping into persons or other animal riders is strictly not permitted. <sighs> Can you eat or drink while riding? For your safety, please refrain from eating or drinking while operating your animal. Okay. But, you know, I'm really trying to get at, like, when did this start? Who invented it? You know, I, I, I don't know. Safari riders at Rockaway Town Square. So obviously someone's manufacturing these. Okay. Here's an article from 2013. Hmm. Oh, that's for a mall carousel. See, I mean, this obviously you're going to get, it's going to get mixed up with the merry-go-round or the carousel where you're riding on an animal, but not in the same way we're talking about here. Huffy's six volt horse plush. What? Huffy, wasn't that like a bicycle? Huffy six volt horse plush. Wow, only one hundred twenty dollars. Mm. It's it, that's like a home version, yeah. Huffy. How about Huffy's Augie the Ride On Doggy? <laughs> What's going on? Listen, it's too early in the morning for this crap. <laughs> What's going on? Huffy, we make fun. Augie the dog, plush ride on at Walmart. Oh, it even works like like out on the grass and stuff. See, I didn't have this kind of stuff when I was a kid. That looks amazing. If you're a kid, I mean, it's like to have a giant dog you can ride on. Please, 
What is this? Next next suggested video, New York Scum Rock 1989. What? My name is Gina, and I play guitar. The Luna Chicks? I, why did I, why did I, I've heard of them. Yeah, I sing. Squid, I play bass. Oh, I think one of them were on, was on Howard Stern. Scum Rock 1989. Great, great, great music. Great, good, good stuff. Good, good, good. Do not feed the alligators. They will bite you. Do not feed the alligators. I was thinking about this song the other day. Do not feed the alligators. They will bite you. Do not feed the alligators. They will bite I got a hole in my soul about 10 feet wide. Because you're in the saddle, but you're fighting the wrong battle. You should focus and stop trying to be braggadocious. I've got a dad for those water buffalo. I got my mind on my rhyme like an optical disc drive. Survival of the fittest. Optical disc drive. This may pose a problem for the weak mind. For life's a road with many sides. Life's a bitch. A bleacher tone. This is an this is a, a group called Dream Warriors. And uh, I recall having this on cassette and listening to it a lot. I think they're from Canada. But are they like popular? Does people in does anyone know them? Let's look into Dream Warriors. I think they were, I remember they were rapping about like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff back in like the later 80s. Hmm. Hold on, Dream Warriors. It looks like there was also like a Nightmare on Elm Street, like 15, was also called <laughs> Dream Warriors. I don't know. Well, I was just talking about dreams a lot. But this, I was thinking about, because I, I, I went out to this, uh, this beer hall uh, yesterday. After work, I got together with my co-workers at a beer hall called Reichenbach Hall on the 37th between 5th and 6th. And we were talking about, you know, old school hip-hop and De La Soul and stuff. And MF Doom, one of my co-workers is big into MF Doom. I, I really need to check out MF Doom. I don't know. I don't know his work very well. But I was thinking about Dream Warriors, but they really weren't significant enough to bring up, I don't think. But that's weird because it was... Uh, yeah, it's a whole dream theme. Am I dreaming right now? I have I have had dreams about recording stuff, and then when I wake up, I'm like, damn it, I can't get that recording because it's, it was in a dream, and I can't play it. I, I don't have it. Hopefully I'm awake now, and this recording is uh, part of reality. <laughs> yes, it is. It's very real. This recording is very, very real. Hmm, this is a song by Dokken. Dream Warriors. How does that go? You may as well do it. The thing that's different about a What's different? Ah, shut up. These commercials. Get out of here. This crap. What's different? How about no commercials? How about that? That's different. I was never a big Dokken fan. I don't think I could name one song. Well, I can now. Dream Warriors. This is probably was from the movie, though, right? we got to fast forward to get to some part where they're singing or something. Yeah, this is definitely scenes from the movie. A scary little girl riding a tricycle. No! Okay. Stop. <coughs> What's going on here? Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. It wasn't Nightmare on Elm Street 15, 1987. But how about the band Dream Warriors? They really must be super obscure. I'm getting like no hits. Dream Warriors Band. Canadian hip hop. Here we go. Canadian hip hop duo from Toronto, Ontario. 
comprised of King Lou and Capital Q. Described as a pair of deft, intelligent rappers by John Bush of All Music, they were major contributors to the jazz rap movement of the early 1990s. Their 1991 album, And Now the Legacy Begins, that's the one I had on cassette, was cited by Bush as one of the finest alternative hip-hop records of the golden era. Before the release of their second album, Subliminal Simulation, in 1994, the duo became a group with the addition of rapper Speck and DJ Love. In 1996, they released a third album, The Master Plan, before the two new members left the group a year later, though their subsequent releases did not garner similar commercial success as their debut the duo re- released a well-received Greatest Hits album in 1999. Their final album, The Legacy Continues, was released in 2002. I thought that was a good album. I mean, it it was number 34 in Canada, number 18 in the UK, and number 53 in the Australia. I guess they didn't really crack the U.S. market. Oh yeah, my definition of a boom-bastic jazz style. That must have been their big hit. That must have been where I heard them, because it, it was number 24 on the U.S. Modern Rock chart. That was their only time cracking the U.S. chart. Yeah. Um, in a way, they might be considered a one-hit wonder with that song. Let me see if I can find that song. Because <clears throat> it samples that, um, you know, that song? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no. Let's see. Yes, it's sampled Quiz- Quincy Jones' Soul Bossa Nova. Let's see if we can get get a sample of it here. Eight and a three, not bad. Online gambling, an ad for online gambling. Great. My definition of a boombastic jazz style. I think this is probably, I saw this video probably. Yeah, this is definitely a big hit. And they're mentioning compact discs, like optical. They're really into the new technology. And there's an ad for the Bet MGM online casino. Yeah. But, I mean, Soul Bossa Nova is a good song, too. So that kind of added to the popularity of, of it. Yes, excuse me. I'm still recording. <laughs> What's going on? It's too early. But oh yeah, uh, yesterday I had a dream. It was there's this woman I knew, and a printing company wanted to hire her because I used to work in printing. And she's like, I really, I really don't have a, a lot of experience with this days. They're like, listen, we're desperate. It's so hard to hire people these days. It's a very, very topical dream. You know, these days, hard to hire people, you know, whatever. Um, they're like, listen, we'll train you on the job. You know, don't worry about it. We really need people. So I was, I was, we were in this print shop and I'm like, listen, what you got to do is do color separations. You know, it's like there's CMYK. Those are the four colors. And then you could have spot colors. And then varnish. Don't forget about varnish. So I was like, 
You can have a you can have an like a dull varnish or um, a glossy varnish. So a lot of times you'll have to sort of create a mask to create that varnish that they'll then print. So it's like sort of a clear coating. And I and I was showing her in the print plant like you see this one you really can't see it but if you if you uh, angle it against the light you can see where the like the varnish was printed on there. You see what I'm talking about? She was still kind of reluctant though, but. That's one thing people don't really think about, like, like how do you create the varnish plate? And it was one of those things that it was, you know, creating varnish plates um, digitally was a little bit, you know, uh, it was a process, you know, you know, using, well, back in the day, Quark Express or InDesign. You have to create all these multiple layers. You can import layers from Illustrator. Um, <clears throat> you have to create, you know, the, the areas using various techniques by hand or manipulating uh you could manip you, you could do an auto trace something you see what i'm saying <laughs> that was another cool dream <laughs> very cool yeah but I, I like you know you only take a piece of paper and you angle it against the light to see like the glossy part like when did, like i don't know if i ever dreamt about that before that's kind of that's kind of cool kind of unique in a dream Anyway, yeah, as as I talked uh, last episode, I, you know, I think I've been playing more. I've been trying more of the Overwatch two, and uh, you know, I'm playing around with settings on my computer, and I think I think I, I got past that problem. In fact, also my antivirus on my computer, which is ESET, which is very good. I mean, I it's a very good antivirus, but I discovered gamer mode. Um, we we because at one point. When I thought I fixed everything, then it's, the frame rate started slowing down again. And I realized it was ESET doing like a security scan while I'm trying to play my game, ruining the game. But there's a gamer mode. You turn it on and it doesn't do anything while you're playing your game. It doesn't disturb you while you're playing your game. I will say that, you know, like, uh, you know, Overwatch 2 is a very different game than Overwatch 1 in so many ways. I mean, it looks similar, but the gameplay style, the feel of it is very different. And, uh, I mean, I think I can dig it because, I mean, to the level that I play, you know, it's very, at a very casual level. But I think people that it's more important to them, they've lost the ability that you can no longer play Overwatch 1. It was a game that always required connection to the server. It's one of those games that it's, you know, is lost now, essentially. Um, I'm sure someone will figure out a way to, um, like, sort of preserve, like, I wonder if you can, yeah, preserve the non-online uh, aspects of the game by creating, like, sort of a fake virtual server. They've done that for other games. I'm sure people are trying that out. Yeah, because it's, like, a major game that has just vanished and disappeared. But there was a a rather unfortunate controversy. I think I may have mentioned it yesterday that they've already backpedaled on, which is that initially Overwatch was a game you had to buy for like, I don't know, $30, $40, whatever, however much it was, and then you could play the game. So this is an online game, so people that are, you know, harassing other people or behaving badly and i even just yesterday people were like why don't you fucking do this you know you're such idiots 
Like people really talking that way to other people. This is the casual mode. Go in competitive mode if you want to say that. But they say like, you know, if you spent a lot of money on the game, you're going to get banned eventually. They'll they'll ban you from the game if you continue cursing at everyone and everything. So they're like, what's that person going to do? Buy another copy of the game? Like every time they want to like curse someone out, they're going to spend $50? I mean, but now they made the game free to play. So if you can make a free account and you start, you know, cursing people out, then they ban you. Okay, I'll just make another free account. You know, what do you, what do you need? An email address. So they realized that wasn't going to work, so they required to give your phone number to your cell phone. And then they'll send you a text with this, the code. And that will, like, make it much harder because, you know, you if you have a phone and they required it to be, like, a real phone, like, from, from a real carrier... You know, you know your phone. It costs a lot of money, and 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 it's like a, kind of a hassle to get. But once you have it, you have it. So people aren't going to get a whole new phone plan that costs huge amounts of money just to just to curse people out in a game. So that's their way of making sure. Yes, it's a free account, but you have to be tied to your identity. The thing is, they realize that these uh, prepaid phones, almost like what they used to call burner phones. Right, you can buy it for twenty bucks, and you know, buy a new phone. And if you really enjoy cursing people out in the game or whatever else bad behavior, just buy a new phone for twenty bucks. You know, so they weren't allowing those phone plans, right? But as it turns out, because, for example, in the U.S. in the ec- the economic situation, people don't have any money, so they buy these prepaid plans from Cricket or Mint Mobile, right? And they said about 75 million people in the U.S. have this type of phone plan. That's 75 million out of like 300 and whatever odd million people in the United States. It's a a significant portion of people. So people who've been playing the games for years, they paid the 50 bucks years ago, they had to overwatch. It's it's the game of their life. They love it. Um, All of a sudden, because they're poor (coughs) and have a, a prepaid plan, They've now been locked out of the game forever. And this news came out, and it was really kind of outrageous. So they finally backpedaled on it yesterday. And they're like, listen, if you had an Overwatch account <laughs> prior, that they, they set a date, if you had a, an Overwatch account before June 2021, will allow you to, to join the free game Overwatch 2, even though you don't have a proper telephone. What if someone joined in July? They're they're out of luck. Uh, yeah, it's a very kind of shitty. But basically, like when I hear people like like cursing out my team, I'm like, I don't really want, do. I really want to play a game where people like in audio. They're not typing this. You hear them say, "You fucking idiots! What are you doing? You suck!" Like, there's a lot of angry people out there. <laughs> so they had to do something because even with it being a paid subscription, people behave monstrously having paid money to play the game if it's free can you imagine the disaster that would be they're also recording everything everyone says and they're using uh you know the uh, text to speech uh sorry sorry audio audio to speech to text technology to maintain logs so you if you start cursing people out they're gonna like good chance you might get kicked out of the game it's just all the... Can, can, a video, what? 
Video games used to be easy. You, you put the cartridge in the slot, you turn it on, you started playing. You don't have to worry about phone numbers or toxic behavior. You're just sitting in your basement playing asteroids on your Atari. You know? It was simpler times. Very, very simple times. Please. Right, I think I may go have a little session of, uh, play a little bit of, uh, play a little Overwatch now. Because, yeah, because uh, in the morning I got on almost instantaneously. There was no issues. Not 300,000 people, whatever. Hey, it's later on now. I'm here on the porch. It's, uh, when I came outside, I was wearing the usual zip-up hoodie that I that I wear, expecting it to be cold and rainy as it's been for seemingly for like a week now or something. This the remnants of Hurricane Ian. Even yesterday, when I went in uh, to that beer hall, um, it was cold and rainy and nasty. But I came out today. It's warm and sunny. What a surprise. What a pleasant surprise. Yes. It's like a whole new world out here. Anyway, I uh, I can't believe it, but I did come up with another new rule for my Flea Devil Solitaire. Now listen, this has been some process. And I, I said it took 15 years. It's still going. Who knows? It might be 16 years by the time this game is done. You know, it was earlier this year, I really got it to a point where it was fantastic. I thought the game was done. And then I really didn't play it for a few months. Finally, I got back to it, and I'm like, you know, there's something missing. We need walkie-talkie. That's a, where, where a run of three, in either direction, 10-jack-queen or 5-4-3, you can take the middle one and sort of transmit and find the nearest copy of that card, and you can teleport the card uh, to the transmitting card for only $3 in game money of course and I love 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 that rule it's something to look out for you can pay to kind of get in position to do it but is it too much um, but as on my playtesting I really felt like it may have made the game too easy to win it's a very powerful move I didn't really go to charging $4 for it, but $3 feels right. Uh, anyway, that was what I was facing, that the, that the games were getting a little too easy. The only other thing I had, uh, the only ace up my sleeve, so to speak, for the card game, to, to, to go further would be um, to sort of uh, start charging extra to move with the Zonker. Again, I'm not, really not going to get deeply into the rules today, so... It's just that I didn't really want to do that, even though that does remain a possibility. However, I came up with a new rule, I think just last night and this morning, called Piggy Bank. And I think this has a lot of potential. I just played my first Piggy Bank game. And uh, this, and I, and I know it sounds like this game is getting more and more complicated, but um, I feel like the purpose of this game is... A solitaire game that you can play anywhere, as I demonstrated playing it on an airplane a few weeks back going to Atlanta. Um, the hell, my fly is down? That's not good. What the hell? Anyway. It's simply a deck of cards, a deck of standard playing cards. But this game, you can pause at any time. It has an in-game currency, right? It is. You can stop it and start it. Very challenging, lots of decisions to make. There's nothing else like it. Now, as far as what I can do with it, I mean, I don't know. It's a regular deck of cards. What do you want? I want to get the rules out there. 
get people playing. But of course, what someone can do, so I'm thinking should I do it, is to just make a game with custom cards that, instead of like spades and hearts and those things, just make up your own suits and put some kind of artwork on there. Because it does take place in a flea market. I don't know. You know, I understand it could possibly be something and do like a Kickstarter or something. But you know what? I, I, I don't know. I, I, have my pro- I have my creative project. It's the, it's the onsug here. And I don't know that I really feel like the, uh, you know, devoting a huge amount of time and energy to release a game. I think I'd rather just get it out there because I do feel it's an important game. As it's been working on it for 15 years, for God's sakes. Anyway, what is piggy bank? So the idea is, I found, so once you clear the market and your zonkers are left, basically you have, your score is your bankroll. And, you know, if you win the game by a lot, it seems kind of boring, you know. So the idea of piggy bank is, every time you spend a dollar, right, basically you spend one dollar to swap two cards. It's called a bargain, I believe. Swap the position of two cards, and this is how you, this helps you clearing the market, along with the flea hops and the walkie-talkie, which costs three dollars. Um, anytime you you pay to uh, advance the game, that is to bring cards closer to each other to for a match, uh, you can match. <laughs> I'm using the word match in a different context. If you spend a dollar, you could then match that dollar, the dollar that was used to help advance the game. You could spend a dollar. You, you, you could put a dollar in the piggy bank, right? It's a matching, almost like the, your 401k matching. They do it at your company, you know? Hopefully they do it at your company. Anyway, so as you know, when you spend a dollar, you take it from the, the, the bankroll at the top of the deck and put it in the easy go on the bottom of the deck, right? So every time you spend a dollar, you can decide, oh, I'm going to take another dollar and put it on the bottom face up right that then goes into piggy bank you see what i'm saying but now you have one less it's, it, and it's irretrievable anything in the easy goes irretrievable right it's easy come easy go so the easy go you can't uh take stuff out of there there's no rule to take anything out of there but right the the first and i'm sure i need to refine this but basically at the end of the game each each dollar that's in the easy go that's in the piggy bank is worth two dollars, right? So the idea is you can sort of gamble as you're going. If you and, and I was playing it, I felt it was kind of exciting. Like I'm like, you know what? I feel like I'm doing very well at this game. I'm gonna I'm gonna start throwing some some money in the piggy bank, and it just and I wound up winning with only like uh, I think only four dollars left over, you know. And I had like eight dollars eight eight dollars in the piggy bank, so that's worth sixteen dollars, you know, in game money. So. I feel that that adds a lot of strategy and thinking to it. You know, I have to figure out maybe they'll be worth $3 each or something. We'll have to figure that out. Or maybe they'll be the only score you get, right? The idea that the piggy bank is your score. I have to figure that part out. But anyway, another advancement in Flea Devil, Solitaire, it it, it keeps going. It keeps getting better and better. Now, I understand the game is getting somewhat complicated, but, you know... uh, and the, I, I know the flea hop move, the few people that have tried it have trouble with the flea hop move. I just think I'm going to have to make some YouTube videos to show how it all works, I think. But I would also say that I think that, you you know, you know, you could decide to play with just the simpler rules as well. Though I'm going to really try and um, 
develop it so it's one game. But then the Zonkers add di- there's three difficulty levels to the game. So it has connections to video games. There's difficulty levels you can pause. It has in-game currency. And it's just a deck of cards. Um, I don't think anyone ever figured this out before. It's a shame because people could have been playing it in the past. I feel bad for all those people in the past that could have been playing it. Like you, you, need to, you need to go on a bus trip somewhere and you have nothing to do. Just buy a pack of cards at the bus station and do Flea Devil on your whole ride. See what I'm saying? Or on that airplane up there that we're hearing going by. Someone could be playing Flea Devil on there. Yeah, on that plane, it was like a few times I almost like dropped all the cards. That would have, that would have been tough. Because you know when you're on an airplane, you're all cramped. Everyone's all packed in like sardines. It would be real hard to go under the seats. I think I would have have to de- declare that deck of, that deck of cards a loss and <laughs> just give up on it, just toss it in the trash. I'm not going to scrounge around on my hands and knees on an airplane trying to figure it out. It's not worth that much. It didn't happen though. I'm, it's lucky it didn't happen. But you got to be careful. Got to keep you got to keep your cards under control. All right, here's a quick update. Uh, remember, I talked about last episode. I talked about the new King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard album: Ice, Death, Planets, Lungs, Mushrooms, and Lava. But now we get the rest of the story. That is actually a mnemonic for. Uh, each each song is done in one of the seven modes of the major scale. You know, musical scales. Ionian, that's ice. Dorian, death, etc. Uh, Phrygian, Lydian, Mixolydian, Aeolian, and Locrian. Locrian. <laughs> wow, so there is some method to the madness, or madness to the method. Wasn't that a song by um, the Blue Oyster Cult? Let me see if I can find that. I like that song. Oh, that was on um, that album that was hard to get. Uh, that album called <laughs> what the hell, Blue Oyster Cults, Imaginos. Yeah, right. Let me try to find that for you. I'll give you a little sample. No, I was wrong. It was off their uh, Club Ninja album. Wow, <laughs> the Club Ninja. That's a a rather maligned album by them that actually includes uh, a spoken word piece by Howard Stern who actually is cousins with a member of Blue Oyster Cult well at least it has this one good song on it they have a space station that's shaped like they're uh, the symbol of the band which is like a plus sign with a little sedia at the bottom it's a good song. It's a really good song. I didn't realize how good this song was until now. <laughs> no, I always knew it was good. I should listen to more Blue Oyster Cult. Where's the chorus? There's a madness to the method. A, a maniac at night. Alright, let me pause so we get to the chorus, okay? There it is. I think this is it. Madness to the method. Good stuff. Good stuff. Let me see if I can find the Howard Stern one. Because I know you're wondering what that sounds like. It doesn't sound great. Okay, so here's the story. By the way, this album was 85, 1985. 
Howard Stern's cousin was married to Eric Bloom of, of Blue Oyster Cult. Okay, so they weren't blood relatives, but they, they had a connection. His cousin was married to him. Okay. The song is When the War Comes. Let's see if we can find that. All right, let's see. Oh, come on. Online betting again? Get out of here with this crap. Where's Howard? When does he start talking? Come on. It's not really good. I mean, for, even for what it is, he didn't really do a great job on that. But what do you want? He's not a singer. Anyway, yeah, I think as I mentioned, I oh, I got a letter from uh, from Sirius XM Radio because you know you get it with your car for three months. I think the three months is up. I there's not a chance in hell I'm going to subscribe. And I actually tried listening to Howard Stern, and I found that I just can't. I just can't do it. I don't have no interest in listening to the current Howard Stern, as much as I absolutely love listening to a show in the past. So, listen, I would like to still like him, but, you know, it's just a different time, a different place. And it's just, you know, it's not like you can just easily listen. You have to subscribe to this cockamamie satellite radio radio garbage. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. In other music news, you know, there's bands that I, I think I really need to listen to more. Like, maybe they're good. Maybe I'd like them. Sometimes when I listen to a band like that, I, I get into them and I, oh, this is good. And sometimes I'm like, you know, yeah, yeah, it's not for me. So today uh, I heard some song that reminded me of The The, you know, the band The The. And I remember in college, a, a girl I went to college with was like really into The The. She's like, do you know The The? They're really good. You know, the name The The is kind of a joke, whatever. And then a couple of years ago I was at a, at a birthday party and uh, my friend's family, were, they were, his mother was reminiscing. Do you remember when I... When I uh, when I drove you to that concert, remember the name of that band, the the. It's the stupidest name I've ever heard in my life. It was awesome, an awesome conversation. The the. Who names their band the the? So I was listening to like the best of the the, and uh, you know it's not bad. It's not bad, but it's not great for me. So I I, I satisfied my my need to kind of go down that road. I don't think I'm going to be a, a the the fan. So anyway. It's not bad. It's just whatever. It is whatever. Whatever. Anyway, today's episode is called Onsug Box Rocks. <laughs> yes, look at this. Wow. I threw this together yesterday. And uh, wow, I really like how this, this show art came out. Look at that. Beautiful. So what's Onsug Box? It is... Uh, it, it was... One of the first major archives I created of my channel here, back in October 2009, right? And if, you, if you're a scholar of all things Overnightscape, I know some of you out there are, um, you will recognize that date, October 2009, as a particularly vital moment 
in the uh, in the world of the overnightscape and the onsug. Uh, that was uh, the time of the radio vacation, the time of the big blowout, and also the birth of the modern overnightscape underground. All happened in that one month, and um, perhaps a this piece of the puzzle. I don't really know if I've mentioned it a lot lately. The uh, onsug box, which back then I was pronouncing it onsug box, but since then the pronunciation changed to onsug not Onsug. At one point, the pronunciation was even Unshug. <laughs> so listen, let's not go there. It's Onsug, right? We've, we've established that many years now. It's not It's not on the Onshug, Unshug, the Onsug. It's Onsug. I know Manny the Mailman always calls it Unsug. <laughs> I have to contact Manny because uh, I, I want to, on the tape land videos, I want to try to get that Andy Kaufman press conference video in there. I think that I think that belongs in the video uh, archive, don't you? Anyway, I, I was thinking about it because I remember there was this graphic for this thing, Onsug Box Sampler, and so it took a little while for me to find it, but I actually found it. So there's two pieces of art, and back then it was I did my art at 800 by 800 pixels, so I found it. There's there's the Onsug Box show art, and then there's the Onsug Box Sampler show art that look really cool. It's like uh, it's 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 like a Futura heavy with a bit of a stroke on it, rounded stroke on it. And, uh, and so I brought them into Photoshop, and I left them at 800, and then I increased the canvas size to my current standard of 2,000 by 2,000 pixels and uh, started arranging the two uh, images. Decided to put my uh, official yellow color in the background. That's uh, hex color EDCD21, the official Onsug color. And it just looks beautiful there. It's that sort of ochre butterscotch kind of color that's one of my that is my favorite color basically it looks great here in my opinion um it's that color that sort of it's yellow but it's kind of brownish it's slightly greenish oh, i just love it <laughs> anyway um and i types out the overnight scape in uh in roberta bold and um underneath i put another logo from the time from 2009 it was an r that was meant to represent the rampler you see that underneath there it almost looks like the R is like walking. It was uh, originally from a scan of an old font book, a font Della Robbia. And uh, when I introduced the logo, there was like this violent backlash. Several people absolutely hated it. One person said it looks like the like bat the Robin logo from Batman and Robin. Don't use it. And so I kind of like I got such a negative response to it. I kind of like backed off. But it is kind of cool. So I threw that there. That's a 2009 thing. And then I wrote Onsug Box Rocks. I decided to make that the title. Onsug Box Rocks, you know. Because uh, it does kind of rock. Because it's a major part of our history here in the Onsug. And uh, then in the lower right corner, I put the current logo from the book, The Onsug, a radio station inside a book. Which is the evolution of Onsug Box, actually. Um, so this is what the show art of Onsug Box says. Onsug Box. A massive archive of the Overnightscape Underground. Over two months of audio. Join host Frank Edward Nora on an amazing talk radio journey. Dot, dot, dot. I thought it always looked so good. It's white, on, white type on a black background. I always loved that one. I thought that was a really cool thing. Two months of audio. Now we have, we've just uh, crested, uh, what, eight, 18 months of audio, basically? Oh, almost 18 months. Around 18 months of audio, yeah. Um, but it was mostly it was all my stuff back then, almost all, exclusively my stuff. Not it, it, October that month when it was released is is when the the group channel started, right? 
and uh, and then the Ansuk box sampler here it's using the same font and it had three rows of show art of Ansug and the Rampler and stuff like that. And you can see it. Take a look at it there. It looks. I just love the way this looks. And I also wanted to get this artwork into as, as an overnightscape artwork. Um, so yeah, and I think that I remember someone even saying like, Frank, you're talking about Ansug box too much on the show. It's getting boring. You're obsessed with this box, and you know. <laughs> But it was. So basically it was part of it. It was this pivotal moment, right? So that year I started doing too many projects. I, I was doing the Overnightscape, this show, and also the Rampler, and then also the Overnightscape Underground, and then also the Rampler on WFMU. And around October it all crashed out, and I just I took a, I stepped away from the whole thing. I had my radio vacation, went to Texas, and um, right around the time of that big blowout, I finished on Ansug Box, and uh, I remember this moment that I needed to uh, mail it. I forget who I was going to mail it. I, w- I mailed a copy of it on a hard drive to someone as sort of the final step of releasing Ansug Box. I remember my wife and I were driving around, and uh, we it, like we were getting all confused, like what post office is still open, you know? Yeah, I remember driving around in Clifton, New Jersey, next town over here. We were trying to find a post office that was open, and we were, and we were we were both like getting kind of cranky. It was like a whole thing. It was this like pivotal moment, and uh, now the Onset Box sampler had something like thirty thirty hours of material in it, and I still I I need to dig deeper to even find what the playlist was. I don't know that it really matters. I'd like to preserve the playlist at some point, though. But um, anyway, so. I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it is sort of, it is a really important piece of, of Overnightscape history. And um, and I think it's, and I, I love how, I, I don't think I've used that in the lower right-hand corner. I called it the bug, you know, the Ansug uh, bug, Ansug book bug. Because they used to call, like, in printing, they used to call, uh, <laughs> there's like a union bug, like just a little logo for a union that you would put on things. And I remember when I was working in pre-press, these guys were like, illegally using a union bug. There were a lot of corrupt people in in the printing world in New York City. Like the union wasn't involved, but they just threw the union bug on there anyway. Just throw throw that union bug on there because I think it looks like a little bug on, you know, a little miniature graphic, a little logo. Anyway, so yeah, that the Onsugger radio station inside a book is 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 the uh descended from Onsug box. And the reasoning behind um the current project, Neon Sugar Radio Station, radio station inside a book, is that considering the nature of this project, which is it's non-commercial and it's not doesn't have a platform per se, it couldn't afford to be like multiple things. So Onsug Box was a thing, and then it's a massive archive of the Overnightscape Underground, which is another thing. So there's two things. I know that might not sound like such a big deal, but the idea is that. It has. I decided. I felt that in order to pierce the future and get, have people listening in the future, we can't afford to have like these multiple things. It had to just be one thing. So that's why. And remember, I. Uh, I was doing audio notes and I was walking up by that Hollywood Hollywood Street or Hollywood Road up there in Clifton, and I came up with the idea of the radio station inside a book. So the Onsega radio station inside a book is not a thing. Is, is one thing. 
right? It's not multiple things. And uh, that I feel, I still feel strongly that that's a really important um, development to make it just one thing, simplified in a way, streamlined in a way. And uh, anyway, I just love the way, I'm just looking at this, this show art. I love it. I love this show art. It's amazing. Ansug Box rocks. Anyway, here's here's the letter, Sirius XM. In Pewaukee, Wisconsin. Electronic service requested. That 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 is printed on the outside. What does that even mean? Electronic service requested. Let me look this up. That's like a strange phrase. Are they like requesting that? Like I buy their electronic service? What does it even mean? It is a printed ancillary service endorsement available for mailers participating in address train address chain service that directs USPS to handle undeliverable as addressed mail as defined in the mailer's profile or intelligent mail barcode. Oh, it was new in 2007. <laughs> they introduced it. Electronic. So basically, it's like uh, if the letters are undeliverable or something. Let's see what they have to say here. Oh, look. I think I think it got turned off. Well, good. I don't. I don't want it. I don't give a crap about it. You get 12 months of music for five dollars a month with a music and entertainment plan. Frank, your trial went by so fast. In fact, too fast. And we'll miss you. So we're giving you more time to enjoy 400 plus channels, including 155 plus in your Honda CRV. Plus, even more, you can stream on your phone at home and online. Subscribe today and get 12 months of Sirius XM for $5 a month. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, look, they have the channel lineup on the other side. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Howard 100 and Howard 101. Yeah, no. The only channel I was... uh, Towards the end, the only channel I was listening to was uh, 40s Junction. And and the thing is, every channel you listen to, they repeat the same songs over and over. And that's probably the main reason I would not listen... I would not get this because there's some good channels like... Well, they're good when you first listen to them. Sort of like um, First Wave is classic alternative. So that's like sort of early 80s new wave music. Great. As I listen over the course of several days, they play the same songs over and over and over again. They, 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 it's ridiculous. I mean, I imagine they must mix up the playlists over time. But listen, it, it enrages me to hear the same song like every day. Um, and at every channel, and now 40s Junction, which is channel 71, um, they started repeating songs on there too. It's an entire decade, 10 years of music, and they keep playing the same stuff over and over again. So anyway, yeah, this is not for me, no. <laughs> Even though connecting your phone to the car and oh, yada, yada, and it's, it's a big pain, and there is a sub- it's easy just to have it on there, but it's, I'm not paying money. Screw them. No! So I've been watching, you know, in, in short bursts, um, the new the new movie, The Munsters, by Rob Zombie, and uh, you know it's not bad. It's it's admirable the direction that he took with it. 
it's it sort of feels like a like a super kind of psychedelic like a 1960s kind of corny production but it works in some kind of weird way i don't know i'm probably one third of the way through it this of course is based on the tv show the monsters um i'm not saying it's great but i think there's something about it that you know he usually does horror movies in this case it's rated pg apparently and has you know has a very distinctive style and uh, I'll, I'll 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 report back when i finished watching the monsters it's an interesting movie definitely um so the other night i went to town hall for the commissioners meeting here in my town of nutley new jersey uh it was wild i'd never been to a place like that before it's on the third floor of the town hall building it's a uh really ancient kind of space it's a room with all sorts of wood paneling and a mural behind the seats that all the the leaders of the town sit in it really felt like something out of a david lynch movie and all the microphones were busted every time someone tried to talk it would all this feedback like all through the room the reason i went there is because uh they're proposing to build this gigantic apartment building quite close to where i live and we're we're concerned uh, citizens trying to figure out what's going on. It's very hard to figure out what's going on. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty wild going over there. Yeah, then yesterday I uh, headed over to the beer hall after work. And uh, I managed to zero out my commuter account. This has been, oh, my God, this has been this long process, and it's finally over with. Right? You have benefits where you work, right? And... um one of them is that you can pay for your travel costs, your commuting cost, using pre-tax dollars. That is, normally, if if you earn like $100, you got to pay a ton of money on taxes. I don't know what you have left over, like $70 or something. Or I, that's a complete estimate. I have no idea. And then that's the money you, you have to use to buy stuff. It's, and then you got to pay more tax on sales tax and everything, uh, whatever. This is a system by which you can uh, set aside X number of... Because your 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 commuting costs, if you're commuting, um, you know, full time like we used to before the pandemic, is pretty. You know, I, I would get a monthly pass on the bus, so it's very predictable. So what you do is you have an account, and then that money is minused from your uh, taxable income, so it's not taxed. So as it is hundreds of dollars, or probably yeah, it's like you know, a couple thousand dollars over the course of a year. You're saving a few hundred dollars using this this benefit, but you have to deal with the ins and outs and intricacies and problems and have the separate credit card and all this other stuff for a couple hundred dollars. But I was doing it. Last year, the pandemic started, and um, I completely forgot to stop putting money in because we were working from home. Sorry, 2020, two years ago. Whatever happened to 2021? I, I know it existed, and I know I did a ton of shows in that year, but still feels like the lost year kind of like 2002 was a lost year the year after 9-11 anyway um i forgot you know i forgot to one month i forgot and, you know this is the kind of thing where it's like monitored by the irs or whatever so you, you can't get the money back so anyway the next month i'm like call them up i'm like listen you know it's a pandemic listen let's stop can you just stop putting money in they're like yes sir yes mr nora we'll stop putting money in your account i'm like great the next month i saw they took more money out I called him back. I'm like, you know, I thought I told you to stop. Um, 
Well, we see you did call, but uh, but but yeah, the money was taken out, so there's nothing we can do about it. Well, I'm like, you know, when I call places like like your place, they're like, this call may be recorded for quality assurance. Like, go listen to the tape. I clearly told the person to stop. So then they the the manager like a couple days later called back like, Mr. Nora, I'd like to tell you that we reviewed the tape. Yes, we do record all those calls, and yes, we. We heard you say that you would like us to stop putting money in your transit account because of COVID. Um, the only problem is that money, once it's in, it can't come out. There's, so I'm like, why did you even bother investigating this? If there's, They're like, yeah, we can't do anything. When that money's in there, it's in there, you know? I'm like, all right, I guess, I'll, I guess eventually I'll use it for whatever, single tickets or whatever. So that, I had hundreds of dollars in this account. And I was just buying, I, you know, going into work very infrequently, would buy singles, which are like, uh, these are uh, one-way tickets that, that don't have an expiration date. They're $6 each way for me. So uh, I, I kept buying them over the years, and I, I could never, like, put a dent in the money. I'm like, well, this is crazy. Finally, after, like, two and a half years now, I got it down. Remember, I tried to buy like 27 tickets at once and the whole system crashed. I couldn't do it. So I wound up going to the ticket machines because the guy at the ticket booth couldn't figure it out, like how to sell me 27 tickets or the credit card crashed or whatever the hell happened or it required a pin. I'm like, what? I don't have a pin. What are you talking about? Personal identification number. But these ticket machines, you can only buy nine at a time. So... Finally, I saw I had $30 left, which fits neatly into $6. So last night, I bought five more tickets, and I zeroed out the account. Yes, and now I have a ton of one-way tickets that I'm sure it'll take me another year to use up, unless I start going back more frequently, which is also possible. But anyway, I was so happy to zero out that account. You know, it was amazing. So yeah, I walked over to the beer hall, had a great time with my coworkers, having all sorts of wild conversations, talking about old school hip hop, all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, they, you know, I wouldn't have expected they had anything vegan there, but they had something called, like a vegan sausage. So I asked, I asked the the, the waitress, like, um, do you have anything here that's like really, really vegan? Like, oh yeah, yeah, the vegan sausage. I'm like, but is it like, is it cooked on the same grill as meat? She's like, oh yeah, yeah, it's cooked. I mean. I, so I'm like, well, that's vegan, but not really, really vegan. I know being vegan, I'm annoying, but I'm like, do you have anything else? She's like, this one, and she's pointing this one thing. This is great. This is vegan, but it blatantly says it has cheese in it. Listen, these people don't know. They don't understand. So finally, one of my coworkers gets the large pretzel. When I say about a large pretzel, it is like two feet long. It is enormous. And so I said, hey, can you see if that one is vegan? So the manager came over. He They buy them from some giant pretzel manufacturer. He's like, yes, sir. I checked the box. This is completely vegan. So I'm like, thank God. So I started eating it. Also, there's all these beer selections. It was like a, it, It's like a tourist attraction. Almost. Like, it's, it's like a beer hall, like one of those German Oktoberfest things, which, I mean, I like beer. But other than that, I find the whole thing kind of eh. <laughs> but anyway, but it was cool hanging out with my coworkers. It's a cool place to go, I guess. It just, yeah. Uh, they had all these lagers, but they had one IPA, and I'm like, all right, let's get the IPA. I, I said I know it's against the, the spirit of the beer hall to get IPA, India Pale Ale, but I got it anyway. So I had two, and then, like, we were getting another round, and I'm like, oh, I know it. And they were big, big glasses, beer steins or whatever. I'm like, I know if I drink another one, it's going to be a little much, but all right, I'll have another one. So 
<laughs> when I left, I started the uh, process of commuting, the long, draining process of commuting home at night through the Port Authority bus terminal. And at night, there's a feeling in the Port Authority bus terminal that you can't even describe. Time dilation, it, like time runs slower. There's like incredibly weird people just hanging around. It's the strangest thing. And being a little drunk is, uh, you know, uh, adds to like sort of like the weird experience. I was in a weird state of mind. Um, I went up to the uh, the gate and I think I checked the schedule and it was about like at least like like 25 minutes till my bus. So I'm like, all right, let me uh, let me go and get something to eat at at the Dwayne Reed. Meanwhile, they're playing some pretty groovy classical music. You know, in, in the Port Authority bus terminal, they blast classical music all day long. Because I, I know I read that they felt that, uh, you know, the, the undesirable element, whatever that may be, uh, despises classical music. And they think it's very uncool. And uh, so they blast it, hoping to drive people out. I don't know if it really works. Uh Anyway, because, I mean, a, a bus terminal is, you know, a, a gathering place for lots of homeless people, drug addicts, all right, all sorts of people. And the commuters have to sort of deal with that. Uh, and then again, I don't think anyone's going to, most people aren't particularly bothered by classical music. But this song sounded actually quite good. I'm like, what the hell is this? I'm like, this is, sounds like Bach. So um, let me see if I can find this. I, 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 I uh. I used my, uh, what's going on? I hear a weird noise outside. Yes, I I used uh, Shazam and I took a screenshot. Le Violin du Roy and Bernard Labadi album by CPE Bach. And Jay, so this is an album that CPE Bach, which is Carl Philip Emanuel Bach, the son of, Johann Sebastian Bach. So I'm not sure if this song is is the father or the son, but I thought it was cool. They were playing some CPE Bach at uh, at the bus terminal. I like CPE Bach. Of course, uh, the, his middle name Philip is uh, he's named after Philip Telemann, the uh, composer who was almost lost to history completely because of like one bad review in the 1600s or something like that. If you read the story of, of Philip Telemann, I've been trying to listen to a lot of Philip Telemann stuff. Um, yeah, like he just sort of a few, there really was not like the internet back then, that we know of in the 1600s or whatever. So Philip Telemann, like, so, like someone just like wrote like his music sucks in like some book, and that was like the book of classical music. It was just called music back then because it wasn't classical yet. Just like the Old West was not called the, the, wild, the Old West. It was called the Great West back in the day. Um, but yeah, d- it was digging some CPE Bach. And uh, so I went down, and it just it, the whole thing of just wandering around and seeing all these weird people, it's just like, I was sort of in this state of mind where I was uh, very like hyper aware. Um, what what I wrote down? Am I too aware of the sweet misery of the nine twenty bus? <laughs> I gotta put that in the show notes because <laughs> it's kind of like drunk and weird, and I was like almost like I was. It, it, it was like very meta, you know. Like I was like so aware 
and I have I haven't been commuting too much. It's like, am I too aware of the sweet misery of the 920 bus? <laughs> so I went over to uh, down to the old Dwayne Reed, and uh, was walking around. And again, there's just strange people there. There's like sec- they have their own like sec- like security agents. Like they, they, I think there was a soldier in there or something. Like they really had to keep order in this Dwayne Reed. I know they have. So, oh, I know what was going on. So, things like 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 shaving cream or razors or like any products that are high uh, that people steal a lot. You know, they they have them in these sealed cases. So you have to press a button. Customer service to the shaving needs department, please. Like these automated announcements. So, and I wanted to buy like I think I had to buy toothpaste once, and I had to get the guy to unlock the case because there's. People are uh, shoplifting toothpaste. I mean, obviously, at a bus terminal, there's going to be a lot of shoplifting. So this place, I think, they had so much shrinkage, as they call, as they call it. They had to put everything in these cases, which is really sad. But I guess you know, other than that, they're just going to close the place if there's so much theft. Anyway, uh, I was trying to find something to eat. I was thinking of those Bobos bars, like little vegan, like coconut cakes but they didn't seem to have them but they did have that larry and lenny's ultimate cookie it was like a peanut butter one of those that that was pretty good and i got some of that teas tea uh unsweetened green tea and um i saw that they had a big bag of jacks you know j-a-x those cheese curls i'm like what they still have jacks still exist in 2022 i thought those were discontinued years ago what the hell's going on that was really weird they like Jacks are still available. Let me look this up. I, I didn't they wasn't there a story about how like they discontinued Jacks? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Why am I thinking this? I was like amazed at this at this at this bag of it was like a mega bag. It was like the uh, the family size the uh, Jacks. Why can't no? I'm not talking about the fighter from that freaking what is it? Uh, Mortal Kombat? No, Jacks food. It's a food product. Jacks. Oh, from Bachman. Okay. Really? I, I haven't even seen Bachman around. Hmm. <laughs> oh, it's from Utz. Okay. All right. Anyway, I maybe it was maybe it's more a Pennsylvania thing. Maybe maybe they struck maybe Dwayne Reed struck a new deal with the Bachman Corporation to uh to stock Jacks. Hmm. Anyway. I don't know why I got so stuck on Jacks. It was like the hell i don't think it's vegan though i don't think maybe that maybe they'll have vegan jacks now you never know there's this uh popcorn called skinny pop popcorn white cheddar flavor completely vegan those cheese flavors have nothing to do with dairy it's just chemicals for god's sakes it can be vegan please anyway uh then i went to the the restroom all the all the i I was trying to find the restroom all of them were like like shuttered closed except for one on the second floor and of course there's bizarre stuff going on in there there's a line of guys waiting to to go in, but then you have to realize they're waiting for toilet stalls. The the urinals are free. Sometimes there's a lot of confusion with that, especially if the angles are bad. So I go in, and uh, <laughs> there's this guy playing a harmonica, waiting to go into the stalls. And I was just thinking, like, cool man, it's cool harmonica playing in the bathroom. <laughs> Listen, I would be disappointed if if there was anything if if the bathroom experience at Port Authority was in the slightest way normal. There ought to be something bizarre going on in there. Yeah. 
so then of course went up to my bus gate and of course there was confusion the bus comes but it goes to the wrong gate and everyone's getting confused and then there was this guy and i this guy i I, I know I've seen him over the years and decades on the bus. I have no idea who he is, but I've seen him before. Then there was this woman I saw, and I'm like, these are my fellow commuters. They're like, I don't know. I, I don't really remember anything about them specifically, but I know I've seen them, like, for years. And he's like, wait a minute. Is this the bus for that? No, that's the – no, this this still – everyone's been doing this for, like, 20 years. No one, no one can figure out where the – I can't even figure out where all these gates are. It's the biggest mess. But anyway, finally I got on the bus and just, you know, it was, I think the rain finally stopped at that point, but it was pretty wild just being drunk at the bus terminal at night. And I was so so hyper aware of the whole thing. It was weird. It was kind of fun though. It was okay. It was a cosmic experience. I'll give it like a, like a B minus, I suppose. Hey, there's the groundhog. Look at him. Yeah, he comes out onto my uh, the, my driveway by my garage, and now he's standing up. He's like a giant. You don't see the groundhogs that often. It's just like a giant squirrel without the tail. And he's holding some stuff up to his, up, you know, he's holding between his his hands like some sort of food product that he's eating. And uh, yeah, he has this thing where he 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 goes up onto this ledge and like runs away. I don't know. I don't know if he's seeing me. I mean, I'm inside. I'm in the kitchen, but. I, Look at him. Look at that groundhog. Apparently he has to eat a lot to get ready to um, hibernate, I think. Pretty cool creature, though. Again, you don't really see them that often out outside, out during the day. <clears throat> I guess there's a lot of acorns and stuff that are falling from the trees on my uh, driveway. That's why he's always out there. And now he's gone. Kitty, do you see the groundhog? See groundhog, kitty? No? All right, he's gone. Anyway, it's a cool creature. Wildlife. Indeed. Back out on the porch here. So um, I was thinking of some aspects of sensory memory. For example, you know, like you... Senses like smell, right, or taste... Um, you know, a certain smell can completely bring you back to another time and place. And you can remember what things smell like. Like right now, like I earlier I was smelling a Sharpie pen. I can kind of remember what it smelled like, but especially taste. I can, I, as, as you know, I've been vegetarian since 1987, vegan since 2018. But I can completely remember what all the meats tasted like. You know, the, the, the pork roll. Listen, I didn't call it Taylor Ham. I'm on the pork roll side of things in New Jersey. I remember what, that was the last red meat I ate, by the way, in '87. I remember what um, Vienna sausages, spam, all that stuff. I've had steak. Today. Yeah, I think I did eat steak in the like. I ate so much meat when I was younger. I didn't know any better. <laughs> but you can remember it. Like I, I can remember what this stuff tasted like. It's amazing. Like those Baby Bell cheeses, which there is a vegan version now, but only available in England. Um, like just the standard American cheese slices, like Kraft American cheese. I haven't had that in a few years now. Right? But one thing I talked about on the most recent Central about how to de-stress. 
I think my segment was actually causing more stress than not because I talked a lot about, about my far out theories of human origins and stuff. But anyway, um, one aspect of sensory aspect of our life is the mood that we're in. And I think it's hard to have a sensory memory of your mood. Like you can remember, oh, yesterday I was kind of bummed out. I wasn't really feeling that well. I was kind of out of it. But it's hard to actually remember, right? It's hard to envision it in your mind, that kind of sense. And I was talking about how, you know, like when you're feeling down, uh, uh, some level of despair perhaps, right? How it's... And I heard some radio guy talk about it. I mentioned it on the Central. Um, that when you're feeling a kind of a despair, it's hard to, like, be able to uh, recall a sensory memory of what it felt like to be in a better mood, right? And it's a strange thing. How is it that I remember decades later what what friggin' uh, meat tastes like? Slim Jims, for example. I remember what that, those tasted like completely. Um, salami, you know. No, I'm not saying I, I am not like I don't want to eat any of these things. I do remember the taste, though, you know. I'm more interested in terms of like the pop culture of meat as opposed to actually eating the stuff, you know. Like that crumbled sausage pizza. I remember that that taste. I remember all that stuff. But why can't you remember your mood? Right. Like I remember sometime within the past like couple of days, I felt kind of, you know, I wouldn't say anything extreme, but kind of, you know, down, a kind of a, a slight despair feeling. Um, but I can't quite remember what it was like to feel it right now. Just like when you're in this, when you are feeling down, you can't really remember what it feels like to feel happy or somewhat good. It just seems it's a type of sensory memory that are, are I don't know if it's everyone, but... And it's something I haven't really noticed. It's something you don't really notice. It's weird that you don't notice it, right? I think this. I think this is actually a pretty profound discussion right now. Something to really investigate. Yeah, this guy. I think it was. I forget his name now, but um, Barry Farber. I think was his name. He had a whole thing where he tr- he said he tried to talk about it on the radio. This is back in the nineties. He said he tried to talk about it every few years, just because he thought it was an important concept. That when you're feeling, he said, like, and this really stuck with me. He said, when you're feeling kind of down and out you're just in a bad mood that it's hard to imagine feeling better but you know you will because of past episodes oh, no, no, and I'm not talking about any any level of clinical depression or any any severe mental illness I'm just talking about usual mood swings that everyone has right he was saying that in that moment you're not going to be able to envision what it's like feeling good because it's a strange I don't know if he went down this angle, but it, it is a strange aspect of the human machine that we can remember sense sensations, some sensation, but not the mood. I, I don't even know what you would call it. Like when you're sensing your mood, it's not one of the five senses. It's something else. It's not even an emotion. It's not a thought. It's something else. It's right. It's it's hard to describe what that is. Uh, but he was saying you you have to just you can't. Imagine feeling better, but you know you will feel better. You know you, your mood will improve because your mood is always going up and down, up and down. And again, I'm not talking about any bipolar. I'm not talking about anything. Obviously, if someone has a mental illness, there's a different story. I'm just talking about um, 
normal, and I, that's a horrible word to use in this, in this context, but a, a normal mood swing, you know. But why is that feature of the, the human se- sensory system kind of lacking? It's kind of weird. That, I don't know. I'm sure someone must have investigated this. Ha- haven't they? Mustn't they have? I would imagine. I don't know. But it's interesting to note that as an introvert, I, uh, I, I do feel despair after like, socializing with people. It's just a weird thing, and I think everyone that's an introvert can relate to this. Part of it seems to be like I'm sort of recalling in my mind all the things I said, oh, and especially especially stupid things I may have said. But, and I've theorized about this before, but it just kind of, uh, you know, my theory of this extroversion and introversion is that, right, each of us has to maintain a self-image, right? And an introvert self-image is very much... Um, created by the person, right? You're sort of constructing a self-image, a, a model of yourself for yourself by yourself, right? So naturally speaking, if you're doing that, you know, you're trying it's you know, it's a, it's a very subconscious process, but you're but you're trying to um uh, it needs to be somewhat accurate, but you're going to always tend towards it being a little bit better, right? Since it's in your mind, right? You're going to tend uh, for it to be a little bit better. In fact, this is what this is the tool you you have to use this in order to interact with other people. You need to know who you are, where you are, what your status in society is, what your relationship to other people are. So your self image needs to be pretty accurate in order for you to be able to navigate the world. Obviously, people whose self image is completely out of whack and completely different than reality, they they can't get by in society. They're they're you know they're they're very inappropriate all the time. So I think the extrovert, they build their self-image mostly from uh, their perceived reactions of other people to them, which you might say, as as a strategy of building it, it's a double-edged sword. You know, your ability to understand how someone else is perceiving you is based on your the theory of mind, right? You're sort of simulating what's going on in other people's minds, and so it's like this double-triple guessing kind of thing. But an extrovert right them being around other people just reinforces their self image so they feel energized by it an introvert um being around other people well i completely enjoy hanging out with people talking to people and everything else um but it can only challenge the self image you've you've built largely in, t- in uh, yourself right so you've constructed the self image of yourself and then it's completely challenged when you're around other people and i think it's that feeling of despair I'm, I'm calling it despair. I, it's just uh, it's your mind now processing the new information, updating your self-image based on everything that you've observed other people. So sort of similar to an extrovert, but right, it's new information that you have to use to rebuild it. But it's like it's not your primary th- uh, strategy, right? That's my theory, at least. Anyway. That's an example of a, of a feeling of this, like a dis, like a like a low level despair that you feel as an introvert after after socializing. I know those of you that are introverts know what I'm talking about. Come on, extroverts, you don't know, you don't know. What is this sound? This has been going on for hours now. What is this? Oh, they're constructing something somewhere. Okay. 
Okay. All right. Anyway. Anyway, I'd like to thank you for patching in to this episode of The Overnightscape. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora. We're here in the Onsug uh, radio station inside a book, as I described earlier. And I'm here in Nutley, New Jersey on a beautiful, beautiful afternoon. And uh, all the information you need is at onsug.com, O-N-S-U-G.com. Onsug is sort of a uh, kind of an acronym for Overnightscape Underground. See, that's another thing. When I uh, we I I used to have the Onsug, the the complete Overnightscape Underground. I realized I had to simplify it, so I had to choose the Onsug or Onsug or the Overnightscape Underground. I didn't want to keep having both, so I just chose the Onsug because I think it's a it's kind of a cool, you know, weird word. <laughs> what do you want? But yeah, just go to onsug.com. Now you're going to go to onsug.com. If you're in the far future, you just have the book. The book is the complete thing. Everything's in the book. But right now, it's a little more complicated than that. <laughs> go to onsug.com. You can buy a copy of the book. And I'm, I've already begun planning the next edition of the book, which uh, I, I have big plans for it. I do actually want to try to reduce the page count, which which may sound like I'm going in the, in, in the wrong direction, but I actually... Most of the book is actually in the digital edition. The print edition, I think, I just feel physically the book is a bit too big right now. I'd like to slim it. It's 700 pages. I might just like to slim it down maybe to like 400 pages and have more descriptive copy about each show, about each era of the show. And um, I don't feel like I need to, like, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be a list of every single episode. Just having sample episodes, sample artwork. Um, and the digital, on the digital side, of course, everything will be in there. But I think more to read, right? More, um, yeah, more descriptions and everything else. I think would be would be good. I think it would be. I'm thinking of it as more user friendly, more user friendly uh, Ansug book. But it's a long ways off. I've, I've, but I've started to conceive of it. So you know, it's 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 going to happen. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. You can download the PDF of the current book, which contains uh, what over three thousand pages. Um. And, and, of course, it's going to be a digital object in the metaverses that are to come. Uh, also, you can – the current archive is on the Internet Archive because the website, onsec.com, is it's a bit of a mess. And I realize that. Uh, I need to – like the old shows, like there's all these weird characters in there. Like there was some sort of database error or something. It didn't delete anything, but it just changed some – like those characters like – N dashes and M dashes and quote marks and things like that all got like wrecked. And I know there's ways to fix it, but they're like, oh, if you fix it, back up the whole website because you might destroy your website if you try to fix it. Great. Great. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to try to, I, I will try to fix it eventually. Um, you can also go to the chat room on Discord. It's all on the sidebar there at onsug.com on the right hand side. You'll see all that. And, uh, you know, you can participate. There's a show called Overnightscape Central. Oh, and I think the new one just came out. Let me see what the, uh, the next topic is. I thought I saw the new one just came out. What will the next topic be? Because once I read the topic, I start thinking about my, my angle of attack, my, my approach vector towards the topic. Let's see. I'm going to go to onsuck.com. Let's see. Next. Football, baseball. Interesting, interesting topic. Football, baseball. Sports. And there's actually three in there. 
foot, the both footballs, American football and regular football. The rest of the world has soccer, you know. So I'm sure you have a lot. To, sure, you have a lot to say on that topic. So please do participate. Just listen to the episode, and then you can uh, send your audio in. Listen, your phone is fine to record audio, audio on. You don't need some sort of podcast setup or microphones. Just use your phone. Get a recording program, and send it in to Mr. PQ Ribber kpqr.torc at gmail.com and listen to the episode you'll, you'll, get a, you'll get the vibe of what the show is like we'd love to hear from you there so yeah as I mentioned last time we've exceeded now 13,000 hours of content oh, I, me- I mentioned it earlier as well um, it's all free it's a non-commercial project we're very focused on people listening in the near and far future and we have a unique style here you know the, no particular topic. You know, I, I was one of the first podcasters, but the podcast world got so big. And I wasn't very involved in the podcasting world for the first few years. And then podcasting kind of took a little bit of a nosedive around 2007-ish. And finally came back again in 2012, and it's been growing ever since. So since then, I haven't been at, you know, I used to go to the podcast meetups in New York City. And after that, I've been kind of like, we've been in our own little bubble here, our own little world but I think it's for the best because we're creating great content for the people of the future and possibly the people of the past considering uh, time travel if that ever comes about but I don't know should people in the past be listening to this show like should like CPE Bach be listening does he even know English where was he German hey CPE Carl hi Carl you you want to listen to the Overnightscape what it's a great show from, from uh, the early 21st century. He talks about you sometimes. What are you talking about? Oh, come over here, Carl. Carl, come here, Carl. Um, let me show you this. Just, uh, you know, don't, let's make sure no one's watching. I'm going to open up my, uh, my trench coat here. Look inside here. What do you think, Carl? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you want one. It's the other side.
Gladys Huey Lewis in the news, do you believe in love? You know, it seems like every time I pick a week to go away on vacation, I miss something great. For instance, my first vacation, I missed Joan Armitrading coming into the studio talking to Alan Hunter. And this time, I missed Huey Lewis in concert. I hope you saw it, though. I've seen them live, and they are great. Coming up, we have more of my conversation with the Human League. Music Television MTV has the video you want to see and the music you want to hear. On any morning, you might get wet with Nick Lowe. Punch in with the Michael Stanley Band. Catch up on your laundry with Chrissy of the Pretenders. I, I had a job. Oh, that's not... Or how about a nightcap on Elvis? Stereo music and video all day, all night. 24 hours a day on Music Television MTV. I'm Martha Quinn here on MTV, and Tani Kane, who is married to Journey's Jonathan Kane, will release her debut album, at this point to be called Vertigo, in July. She's had quite a bit of all-star help on the album. She's got Neil Schoen playing guitar on a couple of cuts, and she's being produced by Keith Olsen, who has produced both of Rick Springfield's incredibly successful albums. So we'll see what happens with Tani Kane. If you go see the Human League live, and it's hard to because they don't do too many live dates, you'll know that they have a real interesting sort of multimedia presentation. And I asked the guy responsible for that, Adrian Wright. I asked him about that. They can expect chaos or perfection. It depends what happens. <laughs> depends if things go wrong or right. Basically, I try and entertain people and remove them from a rock and roll situation where you've got four people on the stage hitting guitars. All they do is either run up and down or put the guitar behind the head and play it with the teeth or whatever they do, right? <laughs> or the drummer, as drum riser goes up and down and he goes like this for about 10 minutes, which to me is really boring. What we wanted to do is try and uh, bring in an element of cinema or something and make it so that if you get bored looking at the group, you have something else to look at. And we have these big screens behind us with lots of slides, 35 mm color slides, which explain the songs and give you more of an insight than you would have if you're just listening to the words say i mean most groups you can never hear the words but you can with us so you get the words and you get the slides and you get the girls dancing you get you get like a, an entertainment instead of a boring sort of thing that's been going since 1954. All right, and it is quite a good show. Later on tonight, our conversation with Lou Reed. And right here, some absolutely classic music. We're going to take you with some Jimi Hendrix music, and this is fire.
concert, the sizzling concert performance of the biggest band around, a Showtime original of a sold-out engagement featuring the best of their latest album, Synchronicity. High-flying, hard-hitting, total entertainment excitement. It's Showtime in March and April. Entertainment that begins with blockbusters. There's a cop, and there's a robber, and everybody's playing for keeps. Eddie Murphy, Nick Nolte, 48 Hours. That'd be cool. I can't ski. Maybe not, but Richard Pryor does think he can kill the Man of Steel with his supercomputer. You know something? You're a genius. You better fool me, mister. Christopher Reeve stars in Superman 3. Look up! The Institute does not forget. Even if you have HBO or Cinemax, you won't see the Lords of Discipline. It's on Showtime. In March, catch the lady who's a legend. Lena Horne, the lady and her music. Broadway on Showtime presents Angela Lensbury and George Hearn in the Ace Award winning Sweeney Todd. It was Showtime's hit world premiere movie. Now, it's an all-new weekly series. Be here for Robin Hood. John Houseman returns weekly in The Paper Chase, the second year. I'm 20 mattresses high without a ladder. It's a test. And don't miss Liza Minnelli, Tom County, and Beatrice Strait in fairy tale theaters Princess and the Pea. Blockbusters, specials, music, and more. It's Showtime. Coming soon. Now, getting down to business. A reporter on his way in, alone, without contacts. An insider on the way out. The ship left Shanghai a few days ago with arms for the PKO. Look, I'm not telling you this to give you some fantastic scoop. I just want you to save your life. Both caught in a web of political unrest, drawn together by one man. Billy Kwan. I did a lot of film work for Potter. Tempered only by the desire for each other. You can't use this. Then you shouldn't have told me. Mel Gibson, Sigourney Weaver, The Year of Living Dangerous on Showtime. What do Byron Allen and Dana Carvey have in common with Billy Crystal? Andy Kaufman, Robert Klein, Bette Midler, Joe Piscopo, Richard Pryor, and Robin Williams. The Improv, America's premier comedy club. Now, members of the uh, Sons of the South, we have a wonderful band for our little evening here. Culture Club and a good old boy, George. Come on now. Let's put our hands together for a guy that looks like Brooke Shields and Bob Marley. Come on now. Do you really want to hurt me? Yes, we do. So catch superstars of comedy salute the improv on Showtime. Mmm, is that good? Showtime Entertainment Special contains mature subject matter. Parents may consider some of the program content unsuitable for children. Parental discretion is advised.
long since I saw you last. Fine, thank you. Have you had a good summer? Yeah, it's quite hectic, but um, I've been on a few trips, so it's been quite good. I haven't seen you for ages. No, I know, and we used to fly together such a lot before. That's right. Did you fly yesterday? Yes, but it was really hectic, so I'm hoping today will be a little bit calmer. Shall I read our horoscopes and see what no, it I says? Don't. What are you? It's funny how much I look forward to each trip, even after a few seasons. But I can still remember how nervous I was to begin with. I started that first year's training school with huge butterflies, I can tell you. After a couple of weeks working hard together and learning about your duties on board, duty-free selling can seem like the chance to take things a little easier and relax a bit. Not for long, though, and no mistake. I remember our surprise even now at discovering just how important duty-free revenue is to the airline. We had no idea it was such a large profit earner. Of course, when you think about it, it's the profitability of the airline that enables it to offer better passenger services at more competitive fare levels and to take on more people like me every year. So, fun it may be, but it's pretty serious fun and worth every bit of effort at getting it right. What we'd already learned about dealing with people helped, but the selling brought in some completely new aspects. You have what seems like masses of products to offer, all at different sizes and prices. There are also several variations of duty-free allowances to remember, and passengers wanting to pay in different currencies. Not to mention the fact that it all happens from a small trolley or cart in a narrow gangway. On some occasions, maybe from a static position. But always with only limited time to serve each passenger. Let no one assume this is a career without challenge. But actually, it's many different challenges all rolled into one main objective. Serving and caring for the passengers. Everything you learn to do is in order to make the passengers as comfortable and happy as possible on every flight. The better prepared the cabin crew, the better they will perform together and look after their passengers. Our flight to Malaga should be about two hours, 30 minutes, so it's quite a nice length of flight for us to get the services going. You come from the training school prepared for your duties and meet other crew members rostered for your flights. Then you see everything you learn being put into action and suddenly it's all real. Leslie, the return flight number is the BY-023B. 023B, OK. One duty, which we all have to be able to do, includes checking through the bars list for the flight and noting any out-of-stock items. The bar sets have already been packed and sealed in the bonded store, but the bar list must be checked against actual contents once the custom seals are broken in flight because you sign for the goods. Chris, how many bars have we got today? We've got 15 full bars and also an additional wine bar as well. Oh, so got quite a lot of stock on. You know from the bar list what items you're carrying and those you aren't. That will be important information on the flight because you'll need to know what alternatives to offer if a passenger asks for a brand not on board. Services, I think we'll start with drinks. We'll go through with a hot meal, second teas and coffees, probably go through with liqueurs and then we go into our duty-free sales service. From the briefing you know the planned order of in-flight passenger services, when they'll get drinks or their meal and the duty-free sales service. The senior crew member delegates the team activities and tries to allow reasonable time for duty-free sales. And Leslie, if you can do for me today on the flight the in-flight sales report. Okay. Yes, fine. The seniors in the crew Know the quality of the duty-free shops, if available, at each airport you fly to. I did this flight a couple of weeks ago and it was so congested in the terminal that passengers just couldn't get to the duty-free shop. 
and we took about £1,400 in the end on the flight. This is useful information because it might affect your onboard sales opportunities for the flight. Then, of course, you can also take every opportunity to build up your own personal knowledge by talking to returning passengers. And that's the service will go through in the normal manner. Okay. Hello. Hello. Good thought number one for me was that our passengers might fly once only this year and perhaps to a completely new place for them, while I could have been in and out of their destination a few times and be able to give helpful information if necessary. Does that sound funny, calling them our passengers? Well, I suppose that's what I call good thought number two. It was something I got from one of my first flights. My senior on that flight said that passengers may be booked in with the tour operator or even direct with the company, but they fly with us. And we look after them just as though they were guests or friends at home. I make a good friendly start by getting them comfortably into their seats and take the opportunity to tell them there will be coffee or drinks on the way right after takeoff. Sometimes they've travelled a long way to get to the airport, so it helps to give them something nice to look forward to while they settle in, especially if they're feeling a little nervous. Call that good thought number three if you like. It certainly works well for me. I remember the training we had on setting up trolley displays for duty free. The importance of showing a good range of products, attractively displayed, <laughs> up the right way and so on. What you really go on to learn from practice is to come prepared for dressing trolleys of different sizes, or perhaps a cart top, and to do it in record time, yet make it attractive and practical at the same time. I'll give you the good one she Okay then. Shall I just put these on the front like this? No. Do you think you could just take the flap and show the articles inside? Okay. Just like that. Right. And then, as the trolley goes by, people can see. OK. You should be on the lookout for tips all the time from other inventive crew members, because you soon learn that a good display really does a lot of your selling for you. Leslie had actually been a window dresser. She says, your trolley is your mobile window display. You must make it interesting and busy, but not cluttered. The idea is to show off your products, not lose them in confusion. It's a lot of fun trying out new ideas for presentation. Themes are a great display aid, though they can be tricky to think up, apart from the obvious occasions such as Easter, Valentine's Day, Christmas shopping and the like. Scarves, ribbons, imitation flowers are always useful. Even tinsel and coloured wrapping papers can make a nice display for gift themes. The main thing is to come prepared with ideas and simple display aids you can use to make your display attractive. When I go shopping now, I often notice how displays are done. Shall I just leave this as it is? No, no, take that one out. All right. I can't really see what that is in the box. I'll tell you what, I'll put the tester with it so that it's ready yes, for it's someone to sample. Now, have you got some extra flowers at all? Yes, I have. How are these? The trolley is very important, of course, but it's just one part of your preparation. You've also got to be personally prepared so that you'll be completely confident about the job. And I've got some testers here. They can go underneath as well, okay? Right. Oh, dear. Now, have you got your product knowledge book? I've got... You must know your products and what their special benefits are, including the duty-free price benefit to your passengers. Don't forget, we all like to get the best value for our money. Your most important personal preparation, apart from looking your best, is to be properly equipped. 
Sounds a bit obvious, doesn't it? But you can still forget little things, like checking that your pen still works before you leave. Now, I always carry a spare. And you mustn't move without a notebook or your currency conversion chart. Make sure, too, that your converter is ready prepared for easy reading. When I realise that captains go through a checklist every time they start a flight, even though they've been flying for years, I decided to make my own checklist. If the captain doesn't rely on memory, why should I? That list, and especially the last item, know how long you've got. I count as my good thought number four. When my trolley takes off, I've checked off my list, I'm all set, and I know how long we can take over the selling. Ladies and gentlemen, our duty-free sales service will shortly be commencing. The passengers also have to be prepared. The PA announcement in advance of the sales service should draw their attention to the leaflets and price lists in the seat pockets to start them thinking about their allowances and the items they might wish to buy on board. If the time available for the sales service is particularly short, passengers can be informed of this too, so they're well prepared with their orders when you get to them. Ladies and gentlemen, as this is a short flight, would you please have your orders ready with the correct change wherever possible. Thank you. Of course, you soon discover that passengers vary tremendously, depending perhaps on whether they're travelling on business or holiday, whether it's day or night flight, outbound or inbound. There might be first-time or occasional flyers, and the more experienced, young, old, sometimes handicapped, singles, couples, families, even large groups travelling together. You have to think of the needs of quite a large variety of passengers. On the whole, most passengers look forward to, even expect, an in-flight duty-free service, especially the holiday traveller. Some may not wish to buy on board, or may have shopped already at the airport for some things. For many, though, the personal service we give, and the more relaxed situation of buying on board, is part of the enjoyment of the flight. The real trick you have to learn is to put each passenger at his or her ease and help them make as much as they want to of the saving opportunities without making anyone feel pressured to buy. <laughs> Practicing role-playing in training school gives you some idea of how to sell, especially if you haven't done it before. You can get by being nice and polite, taking orders as they're offered, but it isn't the same as being good at serving your passengers, so they'll want to buy from you. I felt I was doing all right, even quite enjoyed it. But when I flew with Colette, I saw things in a whole new light. She'd been a demonstrator and was used to dealing with large groups. But, she said, you're always selling to just one person, even though others may be watching and listening. So you can be serving one person, yet reaching others while you do it. That became good thought number five in my personal guidebook. Colette made every passenger feel they were the centre of her attention, and yet be displaying products and getting the effect of her selling across a couple of seat rows at a time. She'd build up her presentation across her audience, so as not to repeat everything for each row. Then she'd start again three rows down. Um, perhaps you too would like to have a look at the Givenchy Gentleman travel pack that we do. Um, it's quite handy actually. We do the eau de toilette, the soap yeah. and the aftershave. And That's it's all good, in quite a convenient little carrying pack there. Would you like to have a look at that? Yes. Would you like Could to have, have a try? A, yes, have a, yes. a sniff. 
That's very rather masculine. nice, actually, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. It's very popular line with our passengers again, that one. Yes, I'll have one of those. Yes, yes. perhaps a gentleman at you. Would you like to have a look at one of those? They make, obviously, very ideal gifts and presents for all the family and for Christmas presents and things. Very nice. Okay. I'd like, yeah, I think I'd like... That's the eau de toilette. That's the eau de toilette that I've just sprayed. Yeah, I'd like one of those, please. Okay, Thank that's you. One of those. That's fine. Is there anything else we could interest Uh, something for my mum. Oh, right. Oh, and I remember how, while doing the drink service, she made a point of asking passengers if they'd oh, like a 20s pack of cigarettes or cigars with their drinks. What really impressed me was when she sold them to non-smokers as tips to give to porters at the airport or hotel instead of small local currency, which they might not have yet. What a good tip. I've borrowed it a few times since. Lovely. I don't know if I could interest you in a packet of loose cigarettes. Oh, you could you do, do carry loose cigarettes on board. And in fact, if you're a smoker yourself, the odd packet's very handy to have, but also they're very good for tips to use in hotels and bars and that for waiters and taxis and things like that. That's not a bad idea, actually. I could use that when we get back to Whitley Actually, the hardest things to sell, not just take orders for, are drinks and cigarettes. Often people have bought them already if there was a duty-free shop at the airport. Others might not want them personally, or else want a brand you don't have on board. So it's tempting not to try too hard when offering those items. But cigarettes and spirits really are tremendous value at duty-free prices. So it's worth a bit of effort to make sure your passengers don't miss out. And let's face it, personal allowances can be very confusing if you're not a regular traveller. Lots of people just don't know what they're allowed to take as duty-free. Cigars would be a good idea, yeah. yes. Here we've got sure. Henry Winterman's Half Coronas in packs of 25. That's a nice pack, Lovely. Can yeah. we have those? Up? Yes. On the allowance? Yeah. yeah. Good. Can I have 50 good. of those? Oh, 50. we'll take two then. Sure. Yes. 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 Yeah. No, the neighbours do as well. Right. How about your spirits? You're allowed a litre per person. I think a bottle of brandy. Chris starts with a particular allowance for their destination before asking which brands or how many they'd like to buy. That makes it easier to point out, without offending, when a passenger still has unused allowances available. Now these are times when it's really important to be direct and honest with people, because you want them to know you're only thinking of them, of helping them use their allowances to the full. It's quite a lot cheaper, doesn't it? It works out about 50% cheaper. Is that so? It's amazing, isn't it? Even non-smokers have friends, relatives and colleagues they may consider buying a smoking gift for, if the thought is sparked off in the right way. And there are cigarette brands you can offer, specially made for gift buying. Of course, if you developed a friendly relationship with your passengers right through the flight, you get a feeling for what other things they might need or like to consider. Don't forget, some of your products aren't only much better value at duty-free prices, they may also be unavailable at some destinations. When passengers know you have good value things to offer, they're really keen to try. The selling is actually a byproduct of your caring and friendly service. The biggest responsibility you have is to be in control of your time for duty-free selling. If you aren't careful, you can be so keen to develop each relationship that time runs away from you and other passengers could lose their turn at the duty-free service. Another lesson I learned working with Colette was timing, especially on shorter trips. She had a marvellous knack of helping people make their choice quickly with help and advice. But you must organise yourself to think ahead and overlap passengers without anyone feeling a lack of attention. 
Passengers are often in natural pairings or grouping, so you can spread your attention and linking suggestions across the group. Good thought number six, essential on short trips. Having to hurry doesn't mean switching off after the sale. It's nice to show pleasure that your passenger has found something they'll like, and it leaves them feeling terrific if you can let them know they made a good choice and got good value. It doesn't take any time, and it confirms your interest in being of service to them, which is a good natural lead into how they'd prefer to pay for their purchases. It's Swiss quartz design, 18 karat gold-plated case with a crystal glass. Um, we sell it on board for £85. In the UK, however, it sells for £145. So you can really see a good saving on that watch. You learn to deal quickly with different cash and currency, or credit card purchases, and leave maximum time for serving. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We will shortly be commencing our descent to Iraklian. Weather local time, 10.20. Alison, that's about 10 minutes left we've got for sales. Um, if you just rush it up a bit, I'll collect all the money if you want to just say the last few hours of the passengers with perfumes, OK? You have to be constantly aware of your available time. It's the one thing that flies faster than your plane, believe me. A well-prepared team should be able to change gear when time is running out, without it affecting passengers unduly. It's quite funny, really, when you're the only ones on board who aren't exactly pleased when the captain comes in ahead of schedule, because you've still got a fair bit left to do. OK, can you pass the cigarettes then, Michelle? Yes, which ones do you want? OK, silk cut first. Silk cut, yes. Embassy? Just one embassy. Any Benson hedges? No, I'm afraid there's no Benson hedges Any left. Kim? No, no Kim. Marlborough? Marlborough one. OK. Just Ruffin's the Ruffman's. Great, it's fine. It's fine. OK. Six gin litres. Six gin litres. Four vodka litres. Four vodka litres. Two Bacardi litres. Two Bacardi litres. It's a terrific satisfaction to have a successful flight and know you've helped your passengers relax and enjoy it. It's important too that they take away nice memories from the flight because you want them to fly with your company again. That's my good thought number seven because I've found that the more you can show you remember them, the more likely it is they'll remember you. Sales success is important for the crew and not just because of the incentive schemes and commission earnings you share. It's also a good measure of the relationship you've achieved with passengers. Everyone likes the record to show how well the team performed because it's their contribution to the success of the company. So much fun. I thought they were never going to quit last week. Now it's another day, another flight, and I've a few seasons under my belt already. Nevertheless, I still feel excited about being a new crew and playing my part in making it a good trip. satisfying to have a job that requires you to use your individual talents fully and yet be part of a team. Better still, a different team every day. I've learned a lot already about flying as well as about passenger care and I see the value in taking personal pride in the way I carry out my responsibilities. Actually, you can't help but want to do your best for everybody in this job. It's all part of it if you know what I mean.
Here we go. A full flight of holidaymakers to Greece. We'll all be making certain their holiday gets off to a marvellous start and offering our best service and duty-free value on the way. And I tell you, the way I feel today, it couldn't be in better hands. Number one for me was that our passengers might fly once only this year and perhaps to a completely new place for them, while I could have been in and out of their destination a few times and be able to give helpful information if necessary. Does that sound funny, calling them our passengers? Well, I suppose that's what I call good thought number two. It was something I got from one of my first flights. My senior on that flight said that passengers may be booked in with the tour operator or even direct with the company but they fly with us. And we look after them just as though they were guests or friends at home. I make a good friendly start by getting them comfortably into their seats and take the opportunity to tell them there will be coffee or drinks on the way right after takeoff. Sometimes they've travelled a long way to get to the airport, so it helps to give them something nice to look forward to while they settle in, especially if they're feeling a little nervous. Call that good thought number three if you like. It certainly works well for me. When I realise that captains go through a checklist every time they start a flight, even though they've been flying for years, I decided to make my own checklist. If the captain doesn't rely on memory, why should I? That list, and especially the last item, know how long you've got. I count as my good thought number four. I felt I was doing all right, even quite enjoyed it. But when I flew with Colette, I saw things in a whole new light. She'd been a demonstrator and was used to dealing with large groups. But, she said, you're always selling to just one person, even though others may be watching and listening. So you can be serving one person, yet reaching others while you do it. That became good thought number five in my personal guidebook. The biggest responsibility you have is to be in control of your time for duty-free selling. But you must organise yourself to think ahead and overlap passengers without anyone feeling a lack of attention. Passengers are often in natural pairings or grouping, so you can spread your attention and linking suggestions across the group. Good thought number six, essential on short trips. It's a terrific satisfaction to have a successful flight and know you've helped your passengers relax and enjoy it. It's important too that they take away nice memories from the flight because you want them to fly with your company again. That's my good thought number seven, because I've found that the more you can show you remember them, the more likely it is they'll remember you.